0: Good morning. It's always an honor and a privilege to come up here and teach. Um, And as usual, Rich gives me some very sound advice and counsel, smile, and try to use humor. Um, Well, I think we have enough humor here at this fellowship. I mean, Val kills it every week with those snail jokes. My sons Nick and Alex were sitting in the back of the church around 10.35, and we looked out, and there was like nobody here, and they said, I guess we're good out that you're teaching today. So it was pretty funny. So. so that's the funny part of the message today, okay? So I'm getting that out of the way right off the bat. Um, we need to really uh, lift up Rich and Paula. Um, you know, they're out there dealing uh, with family in California, and We know how difficult that can be, so just remember to lift them up in prayer that they would be the peacemakers that they're called to be in that family. So, uh, let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for this place, Lord, and this opportunity, and for each soul that you brought here uh, today, Lord. And Lord, I know they didn't come here to hear me. They came to hear you. And uh, so I pray, Lord, that um, you would speak to them, Lord. You'd speak to your people a message that you want to hear from them, Lord. Uh, I confess, Lord, that I am just a sinful man, Lord, just um, broken and weak and just fall short all the time, Lord. But I pray that you would clean me and restore me and forgive me, Lord, and um, fill my cup, Lord, to overflowing so that uh, your spirit would minister to each soul here, Lord. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm reading this book called The Pursuit of God about A.W. Tozer. Most of you have probably heard of him. And he has a prayer in it, and one of the, a uh, part of one of his prayers says, please root from my heart all those things which I have cherished so long, and which I have become a very part of my living self, so that thou mayest enter and dwell there without a rival. Value. That's what we're going to be talking about here today, at least in part value. That's what Tozer was praying about here. And he uses the word root, please root from my heart. It's not a word that we use often, um, but it means to remove and completely remove, you know, not just cut it off at the stump. I mean, rip right down there into the ground and pull out every part of it so there's like no evidence that it was even ever there. Remove that entirely, things that he loved, things that he cherished to make room for God. Pull out those things in his life that would compete with God for his attention. God dwelling in him was more important to him than anything. That was the most valuable thing to him. So, as I read the section of scripture we're going to look at today, I had to ask myself a question, or I asked myself a lot of questions, but one in particular. And so, I want to ask of you, and you don't have to answer this out loud, but how valuable is Jesus to you? How valuable is he to us? <clears throat> If we are his and he is ours, if we receive that new life that only he can give us, he should be above everything else in our lives. Nothing should even come close to holding or taking that position in our lives. Nothing should come close to how much we value him. And how do we show Jesus how much we value him? By following him how closely we follow him, how passionately we follow him, with how much zeal we follow him. That's how much we show him how much we value him. Our following him is relative or in proportion to how much we value him. The way we follow him represents how much we value him, again. Our lives reveal to others and to us how we are following him, whether it's from a distance or not at all, or half-heartedly, or with everything that we are. So uh, I'm going to open to Luke chapter 9. Last time Jim taught, you know, he had 15 minutes worth of notes, so he did the last half hour of his message uh, ad-lib, I guess, So. I have 5 pages. I really don't know how long this is going to take, so. Luke chapter 9 starting in verse 57. It says Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Some pretty heavy stuff there. Before we get into the text, though, I want to ask another question. a question I ask myself. The first question was, how much do we value Jesus? But do we all understand what the word value means? Or what determines the value of something to us? Simply, the simple answer to that is, what am I willing to pay for it? Mm. Something that may be worthless to someone could be a treasure to someone else. Baseball cards, comic books, Beatles albums, concert tickets, Super Bowl tickets. Those things are meaningless to me. But people spend obscene amounts of money for things like that. We decide what we're willing to pay, and the cost is based on how much value we put on that thing. For instance, an illustration, you know, I see a truck I want, and it's $20,000. The asking price, the Kelly Blue Book value says it's worth 20 grand all day. But I decide if it's worth that to me. I decide it. I decide if I'll pay the $20,000. not. i will decide if I'll pay the cost that they're asking for it or not. It also stands to reason then that if there is a price we aren't willing to pay, then we've given greater value to what we won't give. To go back to the truck, if I keep the 20 grand, that means that 20 grand is more important to me than that truck. I put more value on that 20,000 and what, I might, what else I might buy with it than the, uh, the truck. What we won't pay, whether money or goods or time, is then worth more to us than what we're, uh, what we're looking to buy. So here in this section of scripture, Jesus speaks to three people he meets on the road, and he speaks to them about following him. In each of these three, Jesus informs them about a cost or a sacrifice they will have to make to follow him. And what he's really asking them is, do you value me above any of these things that I'm going to talk about with you? Do you value me above all else? There is a cost or a price to pay to follow Jesus. We all know that, right? I'm pretty sure that all of us have read this section of scripture and other sections of scripture that talk about the cost of following Jesus. It's not free to follow Jesus. It costs us daily. Turn to Luke 9.23, just back a few verses. Luke 9.23 says, Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Deny ourselves. How often? Daily to follow him. There's a cost involved in following Jesus. Salvation is a free gift from God through Jesus, through faith in Jesus. We believe that Jesus paid our debt We repent of our old lives, our sinful lives, put our full trust in Jesus to be rescued, and bang, we're new creations, we're born again. We can't mix that up with following Jesus, though. It's not the same. Being born again, being a new creation is just the beginning. We are then commanded to follow Jesus. And if we read what God's word tells us, that will cost us daily. This is the next necessary step as a new creation. And we're expected to pay whatever we're told to pay to do it. That's what we are commanded to do by the chief or the captain of our salvation, it says in Hebrews 2.10. Jesus, he is that chief, he is that captain. He is our commanding officer. He tells us what to do. We just obey. And depending on how much we've value we've placed on Jesus determines how much we are willing to pay to follow him. If we only put a little bit of value on Jesus and what he's done for us and who he is, then we're not willing to pay much to follow him, are we? But if we put great value on him and really understand and truly know who he is and what he's done for us, the pit that he saved us from, the wrath of God that he's spared us from, then we'll follow him with all that we have. There's nothing that we wouldn't pay to follow him when we really understand that. In verse 57, we meet our first would-be follower, and we can read what he says to Jesus. Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. First, it's interesting to notice here that this guy starts the conversation with Jesus. He makes the statement, I will follow you wherever you go. We see that this guy addresses him as Lord. So there is some level of recognition of who Jesus is. This guy seems to understand, at least in some part, who Jesus is. Lord, he calls him. And he has an eagerness and a zeal to follow the Lord, to follow him. And that's good. That's commendable. That's awesome that this guy wants to follow him. He wasn't coerced. Nobody twisted his arm. Nobody made him do it. He wasn't forced at all to make this statement. It was of his own accord. So he saw some value in following Jesus. So he makes a pretty bold claim here. Maybe it's a bit hasty. <laughs> Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. He doesn't even know where he's going. Jesus' response to him is pretty interesting. Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Simply what Jesus is saying here is, this is what it's going to cost you to follow me wherever I go. Simply, are you willing to pay this? Are you willing to pay this to follow me? What's the price that Jesus is asking? Jesus says, where I am going, I have no place to rest my head. So if you're going to follow me, you may not either. There's no guarantee that you will live in the finest home or stay in five-star hotels, have a comfy mattress and a warm fire. There's no guarantee of that. Jesus doesn't say, great, welcome aboard. (laughs) Be prepared for pampering and luxury and ease and comfort for the rest of your life. He doesn't say, this is going to be your best life now. He doesn't say... Some of you got that, huh? He doesn't say anything, he doesn't promise any health or wealth to them, to him. He wants this guy to know that animals have better accommodations than he might. And Jesus' comparison here to holes and nests means so much more than just a place to sleep. Animals have these places for more than just uh, to sleep. Birds have nests for more than just sleeping in. Foxes have holes for more than just sleeping in. It's where they raise their young, where they eat, where they go to get out of the rain. And maybe most importantly, it's where they go for safety, where predators can't get at them. Jesus is telling this guy, don't make this commitment lightly. He wants him to be fully aware of the price that he may be asked to pay to follow him. As we can see here, Jesus isn't a good used car salesman, is he? He's not using flowery language or fluffing it up or trying to make it pretty just to seal the deal with this guy. There's no bait and switch. Jesus lays it all out there for him. All the cards on the table, no fine print. This is the cost. Are you willing to pay it? Now, I'm pretty sure that all of us here have somewhere to live. Maybe it's not a mansion or as nice as we might want it to be. But we have been provided for pretty incredibly here by God, especially in this country. And we're safe here in this country. At least for now, the Constitution protects us as Christians. There are places in this world, though, that if you follow Jesus, you'll risk everything. In some countries, you could be taken from your family, your property can be seized or destroyed, and you can be beaten, thrown in jail, and murdered. You can read countless stories about this in magazines like Voice of the Martyrs. anyone read that? I mean, the tragic stories that, I mean, every month they come out with this magazine, and there's at least three or four people in it, guys who have gotten their arms chopped off or their families taken away from them for just for following Christ. And they still do it in these countries, places like Iran and China. They still do it. Still publicly confess to following Jesus and face that kind of treatment. They know full well what it might bring them. That's because they have put more value on following him than anything else. More than their possessions, more than their safety, more than their lives. They know full well they might have to pay, they know full well what they may have to pay. And they're willing to pay it because they value Jesus above everything else in their lives. In verse 59, we read about our second would-be follower. Verse 59 says, Then he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. <clears throat> this, one's, this, uh, this guy's a little different. In this case, Jesus starts the conversation. Jesus calls this guy to follow him, tells this guy to follow him. Does any part of what Jesus said to this guy sound like a request or a suggestion to you? He doesn't say, hey, catch up with me at the next village, or uh, let's get together sometime and talk over coffee, Come meet with me on Sundays. Come, you know, maybe we'll hook up once a month or something and I'll, you know, we'll check in with each other. Call me when you get a chance, maybe when you're not so busy. Nothing weak like that. Follow me, is what he says to him. It's a command. Now this guy has a choice to make, doesn't he? Drop what he's doing and follow Jesus or not. This invitation Jesus makes to him requires an immediate decision. There's a sense of urgency in it. Like if you were trapped in a burning building and a fireman broke down the door and yells, follow me. I'm here to save you. What's this guy's response, though? Let me first go bury my father. And what that response really boils down to, I mean, you can fill in the blank with any excuse you want there. That's what it is. It's an excuse. No. I'm not doing it. No, I won't follow you right now. I have other things to do. Following you is not as valuable to to me as burying my father. I won't pay the price for following you, at least not right now. I put greater value on something else. I put greater value on something other than you. This guy didn't realize that he was in a fire and needed to be rescued. The things of this world blinded him to it. His rescuer, his salvation, was right there, and he didn't take hold of him. He didn't go. In verse 60, we read Jesus' response to this guy, Jesus' response to this guy's hesitation or unwillingness to pay the price to follow him. Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. Jesus' response here might seem a bit cold or harsh, doesn't it? But it's really not that at all. We know that God's word commands us to honor our parents, so Jesus wouldn't be telling him to disregard that. That's not important. There is value in obeying that. There is value in what, in burying his father. And there's a lot of commentators out there who have all kinds of stories about what that phrase meant and what it means. And, you know, I'm not even going to get into all that, whether it was like some nice saying or a bad saying. I don't even, I don't know. I don't care. Basically, all he said was, no, I'm not going. No, I won't do it right now. There is value in obeying the command to honor your parents. Taking care of his parents would be a good thing, but Jesus' point here is there will always be other valuable things to do, other good things to do, but following, following him always comes first. That's always the most important. It should always be the most valued thing to his followers. The fact of the matter is, there will always be something that would tempt us to put it first. Tempt us to put more value on it, rather than following Jesus. And not just bad things, not drugs, alcohol, gambling, or any of those types of things. There are good things. After I get this job, or after I get married, or when I'm done with this, or done with that. You know, we are called to have, to provide for our families as men, or for women to, to work. You know, God says in his word that if you find a wife, you find a good thing. Marriage is something that's a blessing from God. Those are good things. Those are important things, valuable things. But they shouldn't come in the way of Jesus. They shouldn't be, more value to, they shouldn't be of more value to us, more important to us than following Jesus. We shouldn't be like, oh, when I'm done with this, then I'll follow you. Then I will pay the cost. Jesus also says to this guy, preach the kingdom of God. Burying your dad or all the other things that get in the way of following him are temporal. They're temporary things. Serving him is what's most important. Serving the king of the kingdom of God has eternal significance. The kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom the kingdom that will endure forever. The things of this world will not. Telling people about that is our priority if we're following Jesus. That's what Jesus did. And if you want to follow him, you'll do the same. That's what Jesus came to do. If we say we're going to follow him, then shouldn't we be about his business? First and foremost, the everyday common things of this world should not hold more value to us than following Jesus. That is the price his followers are asked to be willing to pay. To lay aside all the things that would hinder the work that Jesus has called us to do. Lay aside our dreams, our wants. All those things should come second, if at all. I mean, I had a dream of being an Olympic figure skater. And... I've had to lay that aside so that I could be here today to <laughs> preach to you guys. <laughs> Sorry.: <laughs> That was fun. That's my one. I hope Rich is watching this from California, so I can say at least said one funny thing. <laughs> you guys should laugh louder so he hears it on the <laughs> moon. Um, Who was I? Skating. figure skating yeah it's not even in my notes I don't know where that came from right? I guess I was thinking about the Olympics um, sacrifice right yes it is a sacrifice there are things that we are called to sacrifice to follow Jesus I'm going to have to slow down because I only have two pages of notes left in this. <laughs> am I going too fast Oh. Jesus seemed like right. In verse 61, we meet our third potential follower. And read what he says. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. This guy says, Lord, I will follow you. But let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. Like the first guy Jesus talks to, he initiates this conversation. This guy starts the conversation. And like the first guy, he he claims that he wants to follow Jesus too. Maybe not as emphatically as the first guy did, but Lord, I will follow you. He's making the statement. Again, nobody coerced him. Nobody twisted his arm. Maybe he was walking along and maybe all these conversations all happened in one little minute and and all all these four met in one part of the road. So they're overhearing the other's conversations, but I'm not sure. Either way, this guy makes the same claim as the first guy, that he will follow him. I will follow you, but here comes the hesitation, here comes the reluctance, here comes the excuse, not right now. I want to say goodbye to my friends and family first. And again, there's nothing wrong with wanting to bid farewell to your friends or family if you're going on a trip or you're moving out of the country. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 19 for a minute, please. Some of you are probably familiar with this uh, account here in 1 Kings. Um, This is when Elijah calls Elisha to follow him, Uh, starting in verse uh, 19. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. And he was with the twelve. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him, his coat. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done, what have I done to you? So Elijah turned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled the flesh using the oxen's equipment, the oxen's equipment, and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. In that case, there was no no problem with him uh, with Elisha wanting to say goodbye to his family. I mean, he threw a big party. I mean, they slaughtered twelve cattle and burned the wagons or whatever, I guess, to, 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 um, to sacrifice them. That was fine. That was acceptable. That was, that was permitted. There was no problem with that. And then again, in the Gospel of John, you see that Andrew, when he met Jesus, when he met Jesus, um, before he decided to follow him, or before he followed Jesus, he asked if he could run back and get his brother Peter. And that was permitted. That was fine. So there's something more to this guy's reluctance, his excuse about wanting to go home, than, than what we just read uh, on the surface here. And we can tell that because what Jesus' response to him is. <clears throat> no one having put his hand to the plow, i uh, sorry, back in, uh, in Luke, please. Jesus says to him, no one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. I don't know about you, but this sounds like a pretty clear warning to me. There is danger in going back to the places and people of this guy's old life. He doesn't want to go back and invite them to join him, like Andrew did, when he invites his brother Peter. It's not like, hey, I found the Savior, come with me, let's follow him together. He just wants to go back and say, hey man, I'm I'm out, see you guys later. That's what he says to Jesus. He seems to be uncommitted to following. Maybe wanting to hold on to some of that old life. There seems to be something... Wait for it. (laughs) seems to be something of more value to him there in that old life back at his home than there is in immediately following Jesus. If we don't value Jesus, following Jesus more than our old lives, the things of our own lives, our lives that we're spiritually dead in, then we're not fit for the kingdom of God. That makes sense, right? Right? The kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. Being alive spiritually (laughs) seems to be important for that, right? Required for that. Living lives driven by our old carnal natures, our old lives, would disqualify us. And for some of us, I can't speak for everyone in this room, but for me, going back to my old life, would be foolish. It'd be stupid. Going back to the old people I used to hang around with, the old haunts, the old places I'd stomped around, that'd be idiotic of me. Once we've decided to follow Jesus, there's no turning back. There's no going back to that old lifestyle. It would be unwise. The temptation, the the um, I'm trying to think of a big word, but I can't get one. Sorry. <laughs> the uh, the temptation to compromise would be there. would be Would be amazing, especially for new believers, for somebody who's just following Jesus. I mean, you want to go back to the bar if that's where you used to hang around. You want to go back to the streets if that's where you used to hang around. <laughs> It'd be unwise to put ourselves in circus circumstances that would cause us to compromise. And it's the wrong attitude. We spent enough of our old lives doing things like that, chasing after things like that, living for our flesh, living led by our flesh. To follow him means to serve him. That's what plowing is, right? Mm-hmm. It's a job. And we have to do it with the right attitude. Our attitude should be, I don't want any any part of that old life anymore. I want to serve you. And when I understand him, who he is, and what he's done, and I put the value on him that he deserves, that's easy. It's when I get distracted, when we get distracted, when we forget. When we look back at that old life like, oh, that was fun. We look back at it vividly and fondly of some of the good times we used to have. It's funny when we look back at our old lives, some of the parts of it that look so appealing are really are just tragic, and we really think about it. Some of the places we've been, some of, the, um, some of where that leads us. Apparently, for this guy I think, the looking back here has the idea of missing that old life. It's like longing to keep one foot in the world, like he wants to keep that door open just in case this following Jesus thing doesn't work out for him. That's scary. When Jesus calls us to follow him, he's like, you need to sever ties with that old life. You are dead to that life now and alive to me. We can't look back if we want to march forward, right? To follow someone, we have to keep our eyes on them. Paul talks about that a bit in Philippians 3:13 and 14, right? Forgetting what is behind and pressing on towards the goal, right? I Want to look at uh, Luke 14. I had a couple of chapters, please. Luke 14, verse 33. Luke 14, starting in verse 25. I'm going to start. Now great multitudes were with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple, for which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish, or what king... Now, that's some pretty heavy stuff, right? We don't have to hate our mother and father, hate our wives, hate our children to follow him. Forsaking all those other things doesn't mean that, I don't know, like we have this idea of hate that's not really what Jesus is saying here. To hate something, I'm indifferent to it. I don't want any part of it. I don't want, that's nothing to me. It's meaningless to me. That, that's not what Jesus is referring to here, obviously, right? We're called to love. We're called to serve. If we hated everybody, how could we serve them, right? What Jesus is saying here is forsake those things means to turn from those things. Those things shouldn't hold more value to us than him. When we put him first, when things are working the way they're supposed to, when we're following him, when we've valued him more than any of those anything else, all those other things fall into place. Our relationships with our families, our relationships with our wives, all of those things will fall into place. But if we stop putting emphasis on that, on those things, then we've got it backwards. And we're going to struggle. Forsake all though is the price that he's asking. He's asking his disciples to make. And when we recognize him and what he has done for us, I mean, really take hold of that. I mean, we all say it. Yes, I know he died for my sin. Yes, I know he rose again on the third day to give me new life. We, we say all those things. <clears throat> but when we really grasp it, when we really take that in, and that becomes part of who we are, becomes the drive of our life when we recognize him and all that he's done, how he stepped out of heaven to come down and pay our sin debt. When we really take hold of that, he becomes so worthy to us of the greatest value of our lives that we wouldn't even think of following something other than him. We're not told in the scripture, what any of these guys decided. It doesn't say what any of the three guys that he met in uh, Luke chapter 9 did. It's really not that important. <laughs> What's most important is what do you decide? What do I decide? We all need daily to search our own hearts and lives. And when, not if, we find we are following something else, something other than Jesus, then we've put more value on that than him. And what do we do? Repent. (laughs) It's going to happen. We're broken people. I'm not excusing it. The fact of the matter is we stumble into things all the time. We're walking along. We think we're following Jesus. We get distracted. We look at this. We look at that. All of a sudden, that becomes important to us. All of a sudden, that becomes the focus of our lives. It happens. But when we do... We need to repent. Turn from that thing. Turn back to Jesus and follow him. Recognize how worthy he is. Recognize that he holds the most value to us in our hearts. Well, I'm going to pray and uh, wrap it up. (sighs) Lord, we just uh, thank you for your word and how it instructs us and how it Um, teaches us and corrects us and reproofs us, Lord. I pray, Lord, that as your word uh, was spoken here today, even through this broken vessel, Lord, I pray that it uh, touched people's hearts, Lord, touched them and spoke to them where they're at, Lord, and did the work that you sent it forth to do, Lord. And Maybe there are some here, Lord, who have never made that choice to follow you, Lord who have never received that new life that you offer through your son, Lord, and um, maybe this is the day, Lord, where you're saying to them, follow me, and that they would turn away from the things that seem so important to them, Lord, and receive that new life and follow you. Or maybe there are some here, Lord, who um, are just struggling, Lord, just struggling to follow you, maybe distracted, maybe deceived, and... I pray that you would just shake us up. Remind us, Lord, of what you've done for us and how much you mean to us, Lord. That our lives would um, represent to the world and to each other and to ourselves, Lord, just how much value you have um, to us, Lord. Um, Lord, we just pray for this week, Lord, that as we go to our workplaces and our schools and, and our homes, Lord, that we would be followers of you, Lord, that we would just lay aside all those things, Lord, that would, um, all those things that would just not be dignified for a follower of Jesus Christ, Lord, all those things that would not bring, bring glory and honor to you, Lord. I pray that you'd work in each of our hearts through your spirit, Lord, that we would be followers above all else in our lives, Lord, of you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.